This is a conversation with Carissa Hill. Carissa is a business coach helping women scale their businesses to seven figures and beyond by using her unique marketing method. Of course, I wanted to learn everything about her method and share that with you. Beyond that, we talk about doing business when you have ADHD. We talk about spirituality, manifesting, and her personal life story. Her success story is really unusual, and I'm sure that if you use her mindset and method, you can do just as well as she does. Check it out. I'm sure you're going to like it. And please remember to hit that like and subscribe button if you do. So Carissa, in the background, I see this writing coffee with Carissa. What's yeah. that all about? That's my Facebook group. That's where all my online audience is. So I have 18,000 people in there. Mm. Um, I started a Facebook group about, I don't know, 2014, 2015, just for fun to share business tips and advice in um, mm -hmm. and it just grew really quickly and that's where my whole online business has come from. <laughs> so That's really yeah. cool. So so would you recommend like would you recommend that in general to uh, let's say a business or a small business to start a Facebook group and then collect leads there? I think if you're a people person, a Facebook group works really well. I've had other entrepreneurs who have tried to start groups and they find it really um, difficult, but I am very people-oriented. I ask people a lot of questions. I like to start a lot of conversations. Um, so for me, a group works really well. And, yeah, I make sales directly in it. I get leads from it. Um, and I just have fun in there getting to know people. Cool. So... Would you say, okay, oh, let, let, let me ask differently. So okay. <laughs> if I start this kind of group, what am I supposed yeah. to do? Like as the owner, quote, owner of this group? Um, as in how to get leads or grow a business? Yeah, to uh, get leads, uh, maybe even get customers. Yeah, okay. Well, what I did was, you know how you got to answer questions when you join a group? So I always have in there, would you like a copy of my free ebook? They say yes. They put their email address in. They go on my email list. So I make sure that everybody gets on my list that way. Um, and how I make sales in there is I, bet I give a lot of value. So, you know, I just give tips and I share stories and I ask people questions um, and I'll usually do a lot, like a lot of live streams in there and just talk to the people that are in there, answer them, answer mm -hmm. their questions, give them advice. Um, and anytime I want to sell something, I'll usually just do a sales post directly in the group with a link to buy, or I'll do mm -hmm. a live stream, like a webinar style one and sell something at the end. Um, and I've made like, I've had multi six figure launches in the group. Like the first one was 105 thousand and then my biggest one was 750k a few years ago selling my Amazing. online courses yeah it's pretty cool congratulations that's really cool Thank i've you. never i've never heard anyone say that they launched uh, this kind of number that they were able to launch this kind of number of a Facebook group. That's, that's amazing. So you, you must have really curated the group. So how, how, mm. usually how busy are you with that group? Are you like a few hours per day in it and giving value um, and stuff or how does it work? No, I'm not, I'm actually really kind of lazy with it. Like maybe one post a day or every second day. Um, mm -hmm. I have little kids as well. So I guess when I first started the group, I was really in there a lot more. Um, now my time's a little bit more limited. Um, so 
just once once a day or every second day. Um, I usually write. I write a lot, so I write mm-hmm. a lot of posts like on Instagram or just have thoughts or ideas or stories that I like to tell. And I just ask a lot of questions. I'm a very curious person, so I might mm-hmm. wonder something about someone or myself and ask it. And I know that a lot of other people will be, you know, going through that same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's really community focused. That's cool. Yeah, I think community is really powerful because uh, there's there's like a saying, I don't know if it's also in the English-speaking uh, realm. In the German-speaking realm, you s- uh, people say you need like 1,000 really loyal fans and then you'll be taken care of. Yeah, like, I, th- I would agree with that. Like I've had... Um... I th- yeah, I've got 18,000 people in there. Definitely not all of them have purchased from me, but mm. yeah, a, a percentage of them, a small loyal percentage of them have and have been working with me for many years. But I think, um, as you know, like business growth and sustainability is a lot about relationships and mm-hmm. people sticking with you long term and referring you. So I really try to create that kind of environment with my brand. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I think growing a brand is like really hard, but, um, how, how do you differentiate between like a personal brand and a brand, like a company brand? It's I, for, for yeah. me, I am in the same situation. I have yeah. Digistore 24. I have this, uh, page builder and membership tool uh, named Core Channel. Um, those two tools, they're both software as a service and I have my personal brand. Um, and I never, like, it's hard for me to kind of determine, like, what's the most important thing? Of course, like, it feels like my most important brand is Digistore 24. Um, how do you decide whether to focus more on, like, a personal brand or a company brand or should you do both? What would you advise here? Um. Yeah, I think once again, it kind of depends on your business model. So I used to have, my first business was a chain of hair and beauty salons um, mm-hmm. in my 20s. Um, I started a little business from home and grew it into a chain of three stores. And that was, I was not the face of the brand in that business at all. Um, I was very behind the scenes. I didn't want anyone to know who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the brand, the brand for that one was all about like attracting the type of customer that would relate to that branding. Um, and I think I do the same thing with my personal brand now that I'm a coach and consultant. I want to attract the kind of people that relate to me in some way um, because I know that, you know, building connection and trust with people comes with having things in common. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't try to attract just, you know, anyone who wants to make money or anyone who wants to go a business. I like to try and attract people who are, you know, high achievers, shiny objects on object syndrome um you know a little bit adhd a little bit weird a little bit spiritual um Mm -hmm. because that's you know who i am and they feel like i get them and vice versa Ah, i see are you still specifically focused on the beauty industry like with all you most yeah because it's on your instagram background Mm. Mm -hmm. so i do have a lot of sorry (laughs) I have a lot of coach, uh, coaches who are clients as well who come to me that want to learn my strategy for growing my group and, and launching mm-hmm. in it. So I'm considering, um, doing something in that direction in the new year. 
cool. So um, how did you get started in the beauty industry? I mean, it's, it's like, like what's your, what's your background? Uh, did you just like right out of school started a beauty business from home or how did that work? No, I accidentally fell into it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I used to be a massive tomboy and a massive geek and I never even wear, wore any makeup, didn't know how to do my hair or anything. Um, and my first business was actually a graphic design business and I worked at a signage company. So I learned a lot about like branding and marketing and design and um, my dad was a website designer. So I learned how to make websites and write in HTML and I used to play with Photoshop after school for fun. Um, and mm -hmm. then one day when I was 20, um, I... I've always been naturally very, very pale. Like I don't tan in the sun ever, so I can't go mm -hmm. in the sun. I just get burned. Um, and I got a spray tan for the first time for a special event and I just thought, oh, my God, I have a tan. This is the best. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel really good. Um, and so I started getting spray tans done like every week. I just got kind of got addicted to them. And then I was like, oh, I might just buy my own machine and – set it up at home and start a little business um, after hours. And so, so you wanted to spray tan other people as well at your home or? Yes. I Yeah, because I kind of was inspired by the lady that I was going to because she just had a little room in her house doing them. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I've always been that kind of entrepreneur minded of like, oh, I could make money from that somehow mm -hmm. um, doing the same thing. So, yeah, I just decided that, oh, if I charge, you know, $25 for a spray tan, in a little spare room in my house, then I can have a little bit of extra pocket money. Um, and I used social media. Back then it was just MySpace. There wasn't Facebook MySpace. or anything. Yeah, Whoa. I started on MySpace. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I I actually missed MySpace. You know, I didn't even make an account there. I was like, I was like a bit dismissive of it back then, but I, I think it was a mistake. I would be like... Uh, I think I would be much more social media compatible than I'm today if I started earlier. I mean, such a big mistake. Um, <laughs> so you, did, did I just, just for the context, you're from Australia or New Zealand or where you, yeah, where you from? Yeah, I'm from you Australia and the Gold Coast. Australia. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Of course. Ah, okay. Now I get it. Of course you, you get sun all the time and you cannot get a tan. That's like really bad. And no, <laughs> have to stay in the shade. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. So, um, so, so, so then you made the decision, purchased your machine and you also did the same thing like this lady, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although she wasn't, I don't think she was even on social media. I think she was just, um, Google at the time. So mm. I actually ended up growing very quickly, um, because I was naturally, I was, you know, I was good at graphic design. I was good at making things look pretty. I worked at a signage company. So I got all my own signage and business cards and brochures mm -hmm. and everything um, made up my own work. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, my employers were very supportive. And one of the big lessons that came from that first job as, that I had as well was that they would leave me there to run their whole business and the owners weren't there. And I would mm. just rock up at work and do the work and run the business and shut up and open up and everything. So before I even started my own business, I had the idea in my head that if you own a business, you don't have to work in it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so then when I started my business and started getting really busy, my first thought like within a year was like, oh, hire someone to work in it so I don't have to work mm-hmm. in it. Um, <laughs> and would you say that's that's right? Would you like buy into the concept of passive income? Does it exist? Yes and no. It works, but I had to learn the hard way that leadership skills are very important um, because, once again, it comes down to connection. So if you just hire someone to work in your business and you just leave them alone all the time, they're going to end up not doing a good job or not really feeling cared about so mm. or feeling appreciated. So they'll play up. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of employees that you know, stole from me, lied to me, didn't do very oh. good jobs. Um, and it was my fault looking back because I had no leadership or management skills whatsoever and I just expected them to do what I asked them to do. Yeah, mm. and I learned from that. <laughs> okay, so but but you you so they hired you firstly to uh, manage their business. And you did not have like any, let's say, formal qualification or skills and you had to learn it on the go. And oh, can you no. describe? Or no, how sorry. I mean, like when I had my beauty salon business, um, I hired people to work in the salons to like do the spray tanning and, yeah. um, yeah, I did other beauty services as well. They started doing hair extensions and eyelash extensions and I hired people to work for me, um, so that I could just own the business and do the marketing from home, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I kind of gave them a little bit too much freedom mm-hmm. at first and then I learned I started studying, you know, business and leadership and um, systemizing and sales and all of, mm-hmm. all of the things um, and learned that, You know, you needed to have some structure and some freedom and um, really good communication with your employees. Um, And once I got that working really smoothly, um, I had a very good system for my business. I ended up opening like a second shop and then a third shop and just kind of Mm. followed the same process um, each time. And then when I had um, grown that beauty business quite big and I wasn't working in it and it was running quite smoothly, I started being approached by a lot of other um, salons asking mm-hmm. me how I'd done it and asking me for help with, you know, social media marketing. And so that's mm-hmm. when I f- accidentally fell into coaching, um, same way I fell into nice. spray tanning. I just followed the dopamine <laughs> or followed the... <laughs> followed, <laughs> yeah, followed the um, what people wanted, basically. It's mm-hmm. just... You know, that's always been my, my strategy, really. And you, you still, you still do that. And is this now yes. your main focus, the coaching? Yes. So now I teach, uh, mostly salon owners, um, both how to use Facebook and Instagram to get clients and make money. And also, um, I teach them how to set up their businesses to run without them working in it. If that's something that they want to do. Not everybody does, but some people do. Mm-hmm. So, um, do, do you, th- st- it's interesting because my last conversation was also with someone from the beauty industry. Um, would you say that nowadays it still makes sense to open a salon and, um, and be in this very competitive field or I would you say it's not, it's okay? The beauty industry is never going to die. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, because women like to look good and they will spend a lot of money on doing so. So I think it depends on whether they – like I wouldn't go into it just for money. Like I wouldn't recommend starting a business just for money anyway, but like if you have a passion for it and you're good at it and in my case when I had my salons, I was selling services that I loved myself and was very passionate about. So it was easy for me to want to share those with other people. It was easy for me to promote them because I was, you know, passionate about them and really believed that, you know, other people would love them too. Um, but I think if you go into it, you know, just trying to make money or just trying to, um, yeah, get into the industry, Mm -hmm. then probably not. It is a high expense industry. Like there's a lot of overheads, um, wages and leases and products and insurance and all of the fun things. Yeah, I can imagine because before I was an entrepreneur, I was a dentist. And as a dentist, for me, it's kind of like a beauty salon because Mm -hmm. It's all, it's a lot about aesthetics. Uh, mm-hmm. If someone has, if someone looks perfect, but there's one bad tooth, like yeah. imagine one of them would be black <laughs> or dark gray or something, or then yeah. it will ruin, it will ruin, it will ruin the whole picture, right? So I can relate to that. It's quite, you know, you have to lease or rent the location for the practice. You have to get all the machines. They're very expensive. Like, uh, you know, the chairs and the drillers and, uh, you know, it's very expensive. Also, like the material, mm-hmm. there's like, you know, you need to, in order to reconstruct a perfect tooth, you need a lot of, let's say, you need to do a lot of things to kind of um, be able to model that. Sometimes people use computers and scanners and uh, you can also do that with uh impressions alginate or like this is the material or one of the materials materials it's also we, we use a lot of silicone and it's super expensive and of course um there's a lot of competition um so i yes. can pretty much relate to that but yeah yeah you have to re- you really have to be into it is it also in the beauty industry that that you have to be like focused on something or can you be like more of a general is it better like from the positioning to be a generalist uh, there's people that are successful doing both i think it depends on their market like how many people there are in their local area and also um yeah, just the business owner and what they are really good at. So you can definitely be in like just specialize in one beauty service and be known Mm -hmm. as like the best at that. So, you know, it could be eyebrow tattooing or eyelash extensions or Mm -hmm. blondes or something like that. Um, But also if you've got, um, you know, a big enough market and there's a lot of desire and demand for other services, then you can... Mm add a lot more things on my one of the mistakes that I made when I was growing my salons was I did have you know massive shiny object syndrome and I'd have an idea for like oh I can also sell this or I can also sell that and also sell this and tried to sell so many things and then I ended up putting so much time and energy into trying to promote these things that weren't selling (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they weren't selling but these other like three main services that I did were just selling effortlessly because that's what people wanted so 
that was a bit of a lesson in, you know, give people what they want and focus on selling the things that people want to buy um, mm-hmm. and let go of the things that are costing you energy and time and money. Okay. So, but, but um, I, I can imagine like, okay, there, there, there is like services, like for example, skincare and mm-hmm. eyebrow care, but then it like, I think as a business owner, it always makes sense to also think about an upsell. Mm-hmm. So how do you determine which upsells uh, make sense? Because I mean, I'm, I also, I am also, a, I admit, I'm also sometimes a customer of beauty salons. I, yeah. I admit what like for skincare, <laughs> um, skincare, uh, manicure, pedicure. Yeah. Very that's, nice. that's basically the thing. Needling, you know, micro needling against wrinkles. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> Stuff like that. And I, I'm, I'm the kind of customer I just say, I just say yes to anything that she that offers recommend? me. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, she's like, oh, we could do this or we could do that. And I'm like, okay, let me yeah, do the more expensive one. I, I like that because I, <laughs> because I'm like, I, I'm here. I'm already investing my time. Why not get the best more. treatments yeah. done so I can, you know, check it off my list and then just continue with my life. I like, I, I don't, re- I don't want to think about it. I just say yes. I just go there and say, yeah, yeah, do this, do that. And, um, so, so what, what would be a good strategy for upselling? Do, mm-hmm. do you have a formula for that? Um, I try to be very ethical about it and teach other people to as well, because people can tell, I feel when you are just trying to sell them something for the sake of selling mm-hmm. them something. Or if you're actually recommending something that's going to be good for them. Um, so my strategy has always been like, ask a lot of questions, like find out about the person, like what they're wanting, what their pain points are, if they're complaining mm-hmm. about something. Um, and then make a recommendation if you genuinely think it's going to be good for them. Um, and that way it's easy to do an upsell because it's, mm. you know, you're really trying to help them get a better result or get what they want or what they need. Um, but if you're just trying to upsell for the sake of upselling, it can work, but, um, it can feel a little bit cringy. <laughs> yeah. I remember, um, an occasion like that. I went to, I think it was one of my first times when I went to Las Vegas and there was like a business conference was called affiliate summit west yeah. yeah it was like 12 years ago or so and then I, I i looked i i kind of looked like a homeless person i was like totally you know like my beard was growing out and it, i looked i looked really bad and i was like okay before i go to this trade show l- let me try to look good so i went to this beauty salon and i don't know how you think about americans uh u.s americans in particular mm-hmm. Um, but they're so good at sales. Damn. Like, I feel like in, in, in each and every corner, someone is trying to sell me something and they're really good at that. And it's, it's crazy. So, uh, I went to this beauty salon and they kept upselling me whatever stuff. And back then I didn't have that kind of money that I have right now. So, <laughs> and I was like, really, I felt really pressured by the, um, by the lady that took care of me to to buy all kinds of uh uh t- 
you know, pills and, and things and, and creams and lotions and whatnot. And she said, oh, yeah, this is like an offer, a limited offer, and you get a discount of that. And we ha only have limited packages and whoa, 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 whoa. And there was, that was, that was like a moment, uh, just like you described, where it was you a bit too much. You could tell that it's not real, like it's not yeah. genuine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a bit too much, but but I mean, I think, I th yeah. I was gonna say, I think experiences like that too. If you are the client and you feel like someone's pressuring you, that's what's going to make you not want to go back there as well. Yeah. So if you want repeat business, which is what keeps beauty businesses going, I think it's really important to yeah be like focus on long term relationships with people, not just like trying to get their money as much as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think this goes for any business. I think any business should focus on long-term relationships because yeah. um a lot of business owners they make the mistakes or CEOs they make the mistake of like just being focused on sales on a, on the new sale on finding new leads, finding new customers um Dopamine. which might Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I think oh, we definitely we have to talk about that too. <laughs> Just <laughs> let me close that door. And they're, they're so focused on getting new leads uh, that they neglect their uh, old customers, that their existing customers that are already that can. And this is a big mistake because um, you don't need to invest money to uh, take care of your let's say old customers, if you make them happy, it might be that you don't even need any new customers. But as you said, uh, it's less dopamine. And you just told me that you read two books about dopamine. Uh, please tell me what those, what the titles of those books are and, um, and what they're yeah. about particularly the and why you recent. started, re sorry, why, and no, why you, you even go. got started uh, reading them. Oh, I think I first got onto it where there was a five-hour um, podcast interview with Huberman. Um, yeah. Yeah, Joko? and I listened to that. Was it the Joko Willing one? Yes, I think so. It was amazing. Yeah, the same. I watched it like two times. Uh, yeah. Like maybe two two weeks ago, one or two weeks ago. Yeah, and then... I think maybe a book was mentioned in it, the, the Art of Impossible, or maybe mm -hmm. I heard about the Art of Impossible somewhere else, and that talked a lot about dopamine and also different chemicals in your brain that are created when you have different emotional experiences, and like which chemicals create joy and which chemicals mm -hmm. create uh, flow and which ones create. So it was just like maths of emotions, basically, which was really really cool. Um, and then my boyfriend told me about another one called The Molecule of More. Yeah. Um, and that's the most recent one that I just finished. Um, and I'm now like dopamine, hyperfixated on dopamine and, <laughs> you know, just learning, <laughs> learning everything about dopamine. So yeah, it's interesting. So what did you implement anything? Since you got all this information and, um, like what changed so far and what did you particularly do? I think 
the biggest implementation is just how I've changed my thoughts around it. So I'm just very aware now of what I'm doing and why. So I think that's the biggest way of doing it. And also I'm aware of like what kind of tasks give me dopamine. So if I'm feeling really flat and I need to get some work done, then I know that, you know, if I just go to the computer and open up my emails and start doing because everyone says like, oh, you know, don't, don't just go for the high dopamine things because it's, you know, bad or whatever. But I've, that's always been my strategy for success mm-hmm. <laughs> as well is going for something that gives me a little bit of a dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a bit like, you know, ADHD bouncing around all the place, working on 10 things at once. And I always have been. And when I try to not do that, I get very, very like just flat. So, um, when I want to get good work done, I like to try and do something that's going to spike my dopamine levels and then I get excited and then I can just get all the boring things done along the way and I kind of alternate between different tasks. Um, but I'm also aware of when I am just chasing <laughs> something for the fun of it and it's not productive and then I can notice it and be like, okay, stop that. That's, mm-hmm. Is this getting you what you want? No. Okay, go do something else. Um, so, yeah, I think just the being really aware of it um, helps and then you can use it strategically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also, yeah, I'm also trying to work with dopamine instead of like against it because it can also work against you. Yeah. Um, people who take... ADHD medications and there is there is like several ones there's you know um, methylphenidate or um, something like Adderall it's it gives you a lot of energy in general and then you need to know what to do with that energy if you mm. take m- medicine like that um, I tried it and I did not enjoy it at all I <laughs> promptly yeah, stopped yeah yeah, I, I don't think it's, you know, not the thing is these, this, these kinds of medications give you a lot of dopamine, but then you have a crash afterwards. And That's then, right. and you, and then you have to be constantly on it. And then at some point you have to increase the dose and then you, it feels like, addicted. yeah, it feels like addicted. It's, I, I don't think, yeah, it's, I, I think it, it's good if someone has ADHD to try to manage it without like severe medication or because yeah, that I stuff agree. is really, it's, it's really strong. And of course uh, a physician has to decide about that. Um, but I think it's always a good idea to try to seek kind of like a natural remedy first uh, and maybe also behavioral stuff. I think each and every trait comes with pluses and minuses. I think mm. people with ADHD are very creative. They're creative, emotional. Um, they sometimes have hyper focus or just no focus at all. Um, yeah. I think it's fun. being a, <laughs> I, um, do, do you know where that comes from? Is, is it like, like what's wrong in the brain so that someone has ADHD? Do you know? I'm not an ADHD expert, but mm. somebody told me that. ADHD is the is the craving for dopamine 
or something like that. I don't know. Or like the desire for dopamine. So like mm-hmm. <laughs> the dopamine before the dopamine. So sometimes when you mm-hmm. do nothing, you can just have great ideas all day and you feel like you're getting everything done because you're exciting yourself in your brain, but then you don't actually do anything because you can't focus on one thing for very long because you're bouncing around the place. But then mm. I, before I even knew what it was, I used to call it business bipolar because I mm-hmm. would be like, I would be on fire for days and get like so much, like a month's worth of work done in one day, and just smash out heaps of stuff. And then I would crash and not be able to function mm. at all for like a while. I'd sometimes have to call mm. in sick to my own business because I'm like, I can't talk to people today. I'm just, just dead. Um, that was another one of the reasons why I set up my salons to run without me. Cause I'm like, I don't mm. have consistent, I can't work consistently. I can't do that. I'm not, you know, I'm either on or off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know enough about the science That's cool. of it. I just know what it feels what, like. I really like what you just said. You, you basically said that, okay, you knew your, let's say, uh, talents and shortcomings and mm. you work with it. And I think this is the right strategy to mm. um, deal with it. If if you don't have like consistent energy throughout the day and it's kind of dependent on the task, especially how interesting it is, that's especially true for ADHD people. If something is really interesting, then they are hyper-focused on it, which is great. But if something doesn't interest them, um, It's all, it's really hard to get it done. Hard it to, feels to impossible. It's so right? draining. Like I literally get tired and feel like I need a nap. <laughs> yeah. If I have to do something that doesn't interest me, I'll still, I'll get it done or I'll pay someone else to do it. But yeah. I just get really tired. I just prefer hiring people to do things that have strengths that complement my weaknesses. So. Yeah. And that's a, that, that's a really smart approach that made you become an entrepreneur. So in, in your case, if you say you got ADHD, it's a gift because it made you an entrepreneur. Because if mm. you would be someone that, you know, is able to do any task, probably you would have done a lot of different things. But then you stumbled upon the fact that, okay, you can't do everything consistently, but you need to in a business because the business needs to be steady. Then you can hire, let's say, non-ADHD people Yeah. And they can do a lot of work for you. And that's amazing. So And they you, are amazing. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> and you you dealt with them and you dealt you, you dealt with this uh let's say um condition in the right way. So that it even made you an entrepreneur, which is great. Yeah. Um I think the topic of dopamine is interesting because it's in general the molecule of motivation. So that, that means that um, dopamine keeps you going. And one thing that Huberman pointed out is um, you should not associate dopamine release with reaching a goal, but just focus on somehow on work. Progress. Yeah. And yes. he also, would I also, would I, for example, try to implement that I, I consciously focus on just the process. For example, I like to work out. And I like 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I worked out, I tried to reach a certain goal, like mm. looking a certain way. 
a certain type of body. And then I would check and be disappointed or not disappointed or stuff like that. Nowadays, what would change because of that knowledge about dopamine is I just focus on the process and, and just the work. And I'm happy if I've done an intense workout and I don't really care anymore how I, what I look like so much. I'm like, yeah. okay, if, if I just focus on the activity and if I just try to find pleasure and motivation just out of the activity itself, the work, then I'm already fine. And this, this, this is a very important change because a lot of people that are successful, once they're successful, once they reach their goal, they start being depressed. Why? Because their dopamine is gone. But dopamine... That happened to me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it, please. It did. I, I, I wanted to build a million-dollar business. I wanted to hit six-figure months, and that was my goal for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I got there. And it was, now what? <laughs> <laughs> now what do I do? And, and I got really kind of flat for like a long time. I still managed to keep it consistent mm -hmm. um, until I had a second child and then that put things out of balance for me. Um, and then the pandemic happened and that put things out of balance. But like it was, but when, but when I was getting to that point, that was, I was so in flow, so much dopamine because I was just enjoying mm. what I was doing. I had something to work for and I loved it. But then, yeah, when I'd got there, I was like, well, what do I do now? Do I want $200,000 a month? That doesn't excite me though. Like I don't need mm. that much more money. There's nothing else that I want. So it actually took me a really long time to realize that where my dopamine comes from or what I like doing is like I, I actually love helping my clients to get their wins and their results. And so if I make that my mission, it never ends because <laughs> mm. I'm just like, how can I help that person get this and then that person and then I celebrate with them and – um, well, it's working at the moment. Um, yeah, but I literally had that experience. So amazing. Yeah. Um, and you automatically, I think because you're smart, you figured out a way to, um, deal with your internal reactions in a way that's productive. And I think the right way is just to set a goal that is not so so specific but more focused on the activity and focused on an ongoing process so that you mm. can keep enjoying the process because um yeah it never ends mm. and i th also think that you did it in a productive way because it keeps away anxiety a little bit because if yeah. you focus on yourself for example with stage fright i used to have a lot of stage fright um but if i just focus on helping other people then the focus is off of myself and then I don't need to worry about myself so much. Yeah. I, that's, I literally had my first speaking event in like three or four years last month and the same thing mm -hmm. happened. I was so anxious before I went up on stage and then I was like, you know what? I'm literally just here to help people and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to pick a couple of people in the audience to like make eye contact with and mm -hmm. talk to that are engaging and then it goes away because you're like, well, I'm just, I'm literally just trying to help them. Um, yeah. Cool. What, what was that speech about? Um, it was at a conference for permanent tattoo, permanent cosmetic, like tattooing mm -hmm. eyebrows and lips and things. And I was helping them with how to, um, get clients and get engagement with Facebook and social media. 
because that's my jam. So mm-hmm. I, I write a lot of templates actually. Like I write, I write a lot and I come up with a lot of ideas for like ads. I do a lot of direct response mm. copywriting and ads and templates. And I know how to get people's audiences on social media, like commenting ah. on their stuff. So um, I write a lot of posts for people that don't know how to do that. And then I sell them inside a membership. So every month they get new templates that they can go and use and then they boost them and run them as an ad and they get clients and engagement and stuff that way. And I learned, I learned that that's what people wanted from me because I used to try and teach people how to write their own ads Mm. and some people would get it and some people really would not get it. (laughs) And then I just write one for them. Like, and they'd be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So I'm like, well, I've written like over 300 ads now. I can just put them together into a membership and you can get access mm-hmm. to them. And is it like a subscri- subscription-based uh, business model? Yeah. yeah, month by month. I did it a few years ago and then I ran out of ads and I stopped it. Um, and I've just relaunched it now. It used to be called Proven Profits because it was proven to work ads mm-hmm. that are written for people. And now I've mm-hmm. called it Peace, Love and Profit because <laughs> I'm making it more about you know, mindset and having a peaceful. peaceful that sounds life. hippie. That's all I want right now. <laughs> it's like peace, love, and profit. Let's do it. <laughs> peace, love, and profit. I like that. Yeah. I like. I also like the order of things. Like the priorities: peace, love, and profit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really good. Yeah, I think peace is the most important, and then love, of course. I did that intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, so you also talk about spirituality in. Your yes. business communication? Yeah, How so? a little like, bit. Um, about I'm really spe- into... Oh, sorry, I keep talking over top of you. Um, <laughs> no, that's fine. You're, you're that's the guest. PhD part. <laughs> it's cool. It's totally cool. Okay, good. Um, mostly law of attraction and just really energy. I'm really into... So when I, I was going through a really low point um, a few years ago, separated from my husband, um, you know, had to split up care of the kids, the pandemic, all of that kind of happened. Um, I was very spiritual before then, but that definitely went through another, like forced me to deal with a lot of stuff that I hadn't dealt with. So I'm really big on um, emotional, how do I phrase it? Emotional awareness and intelligence, but, you know, the... um, what's it called? The scale of consciousness, the Hawkins scale. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of that one? So it's, no. so it's got like the different vibrations. There's like enlightenment and love and peace and stuff are like the highest vibrations and you attract really cool stuff when you're up there. And then when you're down at like grief and depression and yeah. pride and anger, and, it's a and low the, vibration. The interesting thing is that pride is also a very low vibration. And that desire. Was... Oh, really? Yeah, because you're focused on what you don't have. I found this that one more very interesting because desire is more focused on lack. Actually, <laughs> actually, yeah, it, 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 Huberman pointed out in the Joko podcast that, um, like his findings about neuroscience are controversial with um, law of attraction. So he says yeah. like, yeah, because he said like focusing on the absence of certain things helps release more dopamine than 
um, focusing on uh, um, what you already have. I think I think it was one it it was one of his podcasts about I think it was about goal setting. Mm -hmm. So he was like, it was not the Joko podcast one. I'm sorry, um, okay. it was another one where he talked about goal setting, and. I listened to it yesterday and he said, okay, oh, the, the, the law of attraction people are going to kill me. Um, he said it <laughs> jokingly. It. <laughs> he said, uh, that, um, if you imagine something that you want, like, like, I don't know, a yacht or, or a certain house or, or a certain car, whatever, then your blood pressure goes down and therefore your, let's say the, the hormones and neurotransmitters that make you work harder. And that's a bit contradictory to the law of attraction theory, which is basically that if you picture something in your mind, then it will materialize at some point. So you have to kind of like deal with both. And I mm. found that very interesting. I agree with that because I, I use, well, yeah, I, I just believe that there's a physical and the non-physical to everything. Mm -hmm. So you can go with the law of attraction as though like just thinking about something or asking the universe for something, but also what you're actually doing is putting that thing into your reticular activating system. Um, have you done much? Do you know much about like the RAS reticular activating yes. system? I've yeah. learned about it at university. Um, I'm a doctor. Amazing. Yeah, cool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can tell me about it. No, but I use that strategically. So I'm like, okay, so if there's something I want to manifest, which is just mm -hmm. bring, bring into my life, basically create, um, then I need to, put that thing into my reticular activating system and then my brain will just go to work looking, looking, scanning for the opportunities to make that happen or coming up with ideas to make that happen. So I guess I used to think that like the universe was giving me ideas and opportunities, mm -hmm. but actually my brain is coming up with ideas and looking for opportunities. Um, but I still believe in both because some things have happened that I cannot explain <laughs> Yeah, that it, when I've said I wanted something and then I it just happened. So yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, um, for me, I believe that things are created in the ether first, like in the non-material world, the world of thoughts and spirit and, um, ideas And I also believe that the universe is kind of an idea of someone or something. Yeah. And That's so, so because if you zoom into like any type of, um, stuff, then it's disappears and it's just energy that's left vib vibrational energy with anything, be it like this, um, can of water or, uh, this paper. It's just energy. If you zoom in, if you put it on a microscope at some point, every, everything disappears. So there's no, um, this, this materialistic world, it basically doesn't exist. There's nothing. It's just like some electrons <laughs> swirling around and then the nucleus, protons yes. and neutrons. And it's basically nothing like, and you can fire, um, for example, hydrogen, atoms th through anything and it just goes through. So anything, so the only real thing, this is how I perceive the world is consciousness. And mm. so it's, everything is just an idea and either we are just one being 
playing with puppets, just like when you were like maybe little and then you had like small puppets, like Barbie puppets or something that you played with. I think it's dinosaurs. kind of, it's kind of dinosaur, <laughs> yeah, or Lego or something. It, it's kind of like that, like when you play like, you know, with men and women and they're walking and, and it's, it's, it's still you, but you're playing like these different parts. This is yeah. like one idea that I had. Or like we're really, let's say, separate beings that interact with each other and, and, but we are somehow connected. But, but, um, I once had the vision that we're all looking through the same eye. I, I've seen, I had a vision mm. where, like, I, I did a meditation and I had a vision where we all look through the same eye and each and every being is like just one being. We're all one being. This, this was like a vision that I had and I was like, okay. That's a trippy meditation. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was very trippy. I was, and, um, one of my favorite, you just basically went on my favorite rant. Like if I get drunk, I will just go up to everyone and be like, what are you if you don't have any beliefs? <laughs> like nothing. And I'm like, exactly. Like, let's change them all. Who could you be if you changed everything that you believe about everything? Like you're just nothing with beliefs. And, um, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I like, I like the simulation theory. Have you heard of it? A uh, little bit, not, not too much. You'll have to fill me in. Yeah. So the theory is this, um, Elon Musk brought it to my attention. He basically, he strongly believes that we're living in a simulation, like in some mm -hmm. kind of computer game. Why? He said mathematically, it's very improbable that we're in quote, base reality. Because if you look at computer game development, how old is it within our human species? Maybe 30 years, 40 years or something. And it was like very basic. And now it's super realistic already. Like mm. with some computer games, you cannot even tell if it's like real or not. Like if you watch it on a screen. So the experience is very real. We just had maybe 40 years. What if a civilization had 40 million years? Assuming that there are alien, that aliens exist out there, other civilizations that are smart, they could also produce computers. And of course, if they produce computers, if they make computers, they're going to make computer games. And so there could be like even layers on top of that. It could be simulation within simulation within simulation. It's not a problem to do that. Um, just like in this reality, we can create simulations and uh, you can do things within things. So, and he said, given that, just, just calculating the sheer numbers, um, it's, it's very unlikely that this is original base reality. It's, it's just 99.9 period percent not possible. I mean, not 100%, <laughs> but close to 100%. It's, just it's it's very very unlikely and then that makes me think okay so maybe this is why spiritually spirituality works maybe this is why law of attraction works because everything is somehow connected or have you heard of these magic numbers like some people do kind of it's from Grabovoy and he has like magic numbers and, or there's like also a sacred geometry in ancient Egypt yeah, and in old buildings and pyramids. Everything is like mathematically perfect, like the pyramids and everything that yeah. one, one part is like one way to look at it 
is, oh, yo, those people were very smart and like supernatural who built that. The other way to look at it, we're, in, we're living in a computer. A code. <laughs> yeah, it's a code. Yeah. We're living in the matrix. And this is why maybe thoughts are things and maybe we can then influence it. And the, the big thing is for me, we have to be so careful about our thoughts and feelings and views because we could be a, let's say, a real player or even an super powerful, like much more powerful than we think we are. And by saying nonsensical stuff that harms ourselves or our beliefs and, and, and reality, we could destroy a lot of things without meaning to because we're just not conscious about how powerful we are, if that makes yeah. sense. And so, I mean, and <laughs> this doesn't necessarily have to be like a technical simulation. It could be also like just, just, just spirit, just thoughts of, you know, just energy yeah. and some kind of thought energy that entertain it, tames itself and any type of entertainment. And this is very important comes from limitation and hardship. Because otherwise you're not entertained. If you watch a movie and you have a hero and the hero is just going through life and everything is easy and he always wins, it's boring. And assuming that we're in a simulation, be it like within a computer or within a spirit, um, we need hardship. We need problems we need uh, bad things so that we can uh, enjoy it a little bit more as weird as it might sound because everything is like yang. yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of how how kind of how i look at it yeah I, I look at life as though it's like i literally see my life as if it's a game and i've come here to like have this human experience yeah and Everything, everything that exists, exists to be experienced. And you can either choose to be the type of person that experiences certain things or not, if you're not yeah. interested in them or you don't want to. But that, I guess that's kind of how I look at the manifestation process as well. It's like, well, am I the type of person who has heaps of money and gets invited on fancy yacht parties and you know, or does all those kind of things? Or am I the kind of person that doesn't believe that I can have those things because it's all just, you know, a belief? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you manifest? Like when, when you try to manifest something, like what's, what are the steps? I don't actually do anything physical. I literally just kind of decide in my head that it's an option for me or that, I, that it will happen at some point. So I actually, the yacht party thing is a real thing. I was like, oh, I need mm -hmm. friends that invite me to go to parties on boats. Last weekend or the weekend before, I got invited to two yacht parties, one after the other. Nice. <laughs> a 30th and a 40th. And I was like, and I decide I want to be interviewed on more podcasts. Here we are. Here we like, are. <laughs> I didn't do anything. They just, I just, it comes to me. So um, that's what I mean. My Probably my biggest manifestation was when I, I had this list of like my dream house that I wanted to buy and I have it and it's I either wanted next to a rainforest or next to a beach and I wow. got next to a rainforest and it's like floor to ceiling glass doors like walls like massive the doors just open um 
And then after I bought the house, the rainforest next door came up for sale and they were going to sell it, but I had no money left. <laughs> I just bought my house and I was like, I need to own that rainforest. It was $360,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't borrow anymore. I put mm-hmm. down, I was like, well, can I put down a little bit what I have left as a deposit? And they wanted to sell it in like six or seven months from then. And I was like, yep. And, but I was also like, if I get it, cool. And if I don't, oh, well, you know, mm-hmm. I've still got a beautiful house. Somehow I came up with $360,000 cash and bought the block of rainforest in six months. Oh, that's I could not tell you. I mean, I did obviously worked hard in my business and made a lot of money, but there was no strategy for that. It just, it just happened. So mm-hmm. yeah, I believe that things like that are possible. What do you do with the rainforest then? Like what's your intention with it? It just sits there it? so no one else, so I don't have any neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the wildlife and it's, and it's obviously an investment too, because you know, it's doubled in value since I bought it. So cool. It just sits there. I, that's beautiful. I didn't want any neighbors. <laughs> yeah. I can totally understand that. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Really makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of rich people who buy out uh, their neighborhoods in order to not have neighbors. I think Bill Gates has done that. That's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, like a lot of people in like rich areas buy mm. the, all, all the houses that surround them in order to just destroy them and have and just and have be, peace. <laughs> and just have peace. Yeah. It's so yeah. fun. That's cool. So, um, As, as like a last question, how would you, what would you advise for someone who wants to start an online business, especially an online course business? Um, what advice would you give them how to start that successfully? Because you've done that successfully. I think the first thing, and I do teach people how to do this. Um, you need an audience to start with if you want to do it online. So you have to decide first who you want to attract, but I believe that you should use your own personal story to attract them rather Mm -hmm. than just trying to help them achieve a goal or something. So um, I have this strategy that I just call story selling. And Mm -hmm. anytime I'm helping a coach to grow their audience, I usually recommend that they create, you know, a free little ebook or a free little video, you know, a lead magnet that, um, Mm -hmm gives a lot of helpful advice, but also shares their story using the hero's journey formula, which I think you just mm-hmm. touched on a little yeah. bit earlier. Um, and share like, yeah, where they came from, what they've been through, what they've done, and then now what they're helping other people to do. And then when people, and then run that as an ad mm-hmm. on Facebook or Instagram. And when the people read that, that relate to it, if they're going to come and follow that person because they have something in common with them. Um, whereas if you're just doing like a free lead magnet, that's like, Oh, how to get clients with Facebook ads. It's kind of shallow. Like there's mm. no emotional connection there. So I think you'll have a more, a, a better chance at like a long lasting business and better relationships with clients. If you get them in with like a personal connection from the start, something that they have in common with you, like a belief for a value or an experience um, and then just really nurture the relationship. So I'm always creating content for fun. I like, I like helping people. I like creating content. Um, 
and I think when you are selling something, whether it's a course or a membership or a, a mastermind or something, like always be focused on the results that the clients are going to get and really mm-hmm. come from a place of like genuinely wanting to get them those results and making that the most important thing rather than you just making the money because that's where the money comes from and that's Mm -hmm. where your brand reputation also comes from if you're good cool so if i get you right uh, you would kind of tell your story at first relating to a specific problem or thing that um bothers your audience and then tell your story and then offer your service is that right yeah and make the offer yep. so that it's more of a personal connection and then use Facebook ads and to get Google it out ads. There. So you're, you're all about Facebook, right? Yes. I have always, well, yeah, since it existed, I've been using Facebook to grow everything. Um, yeah, it was my space before then. <laughs> and then Facebook came out. So yeah, I've been on using Facebook ads for well over a decade now, I think. Mm-hmm. So is it like, would you, um, I think I I like Facebook ads because you can target people very sharply and Mm. this is like, and and I think relevance is very, very, very important to do effective marketing. Um, would you also say that anyone, any business somehow should learn the skill of marketing on Facebook? Um, more or less. I think, I think so because almost everyone has a Facebook account. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone's on there. Uh, a lot of people come on there, oh, I don't know if my audience is on Facebook. They probably are. You just need to get the right thing in front of them to get their attention um, mm. and then decide where you want to put them from there as well because, like, I like sending people into my Facebook group, but not everybody wants a Facebook group. So if you want to get them onto your email list, you can do that. If you want to get them onto your YouTube channel, you can do that. Yes. Like, you can find them on Facebook and then redirect them to follow you where you want them mm-hmm to be with like retargeting or an email sequence and things like that. Thank you so much, Carissa. If someone wants to learn more about you or reach you, how can they do that the best? Um, probably in my Facebook group, <laughs> Coffee with Carissa. <laughs> okay. Best place to be. How do they find you on Instagram? Uh, it is Carissa Hill Coach, C-A-R-I-S-S-A. Great. And do you have a homepage? Yes, it's carissa-hill.com. Nice. Carissa, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Me too. It was really fun. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and never miss an episode of Svencast again.